By your perseverance, you will secure your lives. Think about it. I think that nothing is more important in life than our perseverance. A saint once said, you know, everyone can begin. Only a saint is able to finish. So much of life, new resolution, new journeys, they're very easy to start, but to go through to the very end, that's something few are able to do. I still remember a parable I heard when I was first like reverted back to the Catholic faith back when I was in college. And it was, see, one person couldn't even persevere through an entire homily. So I heard this, uh, this parable one time, and he said that it was this group of people that were walking across down into a deep valley. And they saw on the other side of this valley a beautiful shining gold kingdom. They were all on their way to get there. But they had to go deep in this valley in order to get to the other side. And along that journey into that valley, many of them experienced different temptations. Some got tired. Some were attacked by robbers. Some met other tribes while they were there and said, stop journeying. Why keep going further? Make your home here. And how just a few of them were able to persevere in the midst of that kind of desolation of a journey to the other side. And I can tell you that's, that image has stayed with me for so long because I, I believe it's so real that we have to live so much of our life by faith of what we haven't experienced yet. All we have is glimpses of heaven, moments of reminders. And so much of our life is having to live with faith till we get to the other side. The greatest Difficulty in our life is the fact that we're made for heaven, but we're not there yet. We're made for heaven, but we're not there yet. I want to read to you a poem. It's one of my favorite poems. I'll tell you it was written by afterwards, but it was a poem written by a young man to God. It said, once more before I move on and send my glance forward, lonely, I raise my hands. To you, to whom I flee, to whom I, in the deepest depths of my heart, have solemnly consecrated altars, so that at all times his voice would summon me again. Deeply inscribed upon my heart glows the words, To the unknown God, I am his, although up to this hour I remained in the company of sinners. I am his, and I feel the noose ropes that pull me down in the struggle, and should I flee still, force me into his service. I want to know you, unknown one, you who have reached deep within my soul, wandering through my life like a storm, you incomprehensible one, akin to me. I want to know you, even serve you. So it's this poem of just great longing for God and desire to be known by him, to belong to him. You know who wrote that? Frederick Nietzsche, the father of atheism, the same one who came out to say God is dead and we have killed him. And so Frederick Nietzsche, his whole, he's the father of philosophy of our times, of nihilism. And nihilism is the belief that it's conviction there's no meaning in life that the world is inhospitable to our highest hopes, 
in our dreams. And nihilism is the experience that nothing matters in the end. We have all these desires, all these longings, but for nothing. Nietzsche lost his faith in God, but he never lost his desires. And he knew, he said, what's happening to me in this time is going to happen to the whole Western world over the next two centuries, the 20th and 21st centuries. He said, man cannot live without a hope of heaven, a hope of a utopia, of a perfect place. So once God is dead, when Nietzsche said God is dead and we have killed him, it wasn't a triumphant proclamation. It was the beginning of an end where we would not know how to live without God in our lives. And he said three things would replace God, would replace our hope for eternal homeland. Totalitarianism, hedonism, and nihilism. So first off, once men stop believing in God, stop following Christ, they will begin to follow the state. The government will become the new God of this world. And I can guarantee you it's that in my own life, and I've seen in so many others, it's so much easier to follow CNN news or Fox news than to pick up the scriptures and read the, or the, read the lives of the saints. Fulton Sheen said that the time that we were going into was the final temptation of Christ from the demonic, from Satan in the, in the desert. That he would bow to him so that he could have power over all governments. He said it's always a lingering temptation that the church would stop talking about God and begin more and more talking about politics. And it's, it has a part in the church. You can't get away from politics. But politics always corrupts no matter what. This is the problem with church and politics. The more the church has influence over politics, it's a good thing because usually there's a greater moral order that comes about from it. But the bad side of that is that the church always becomes more corrupt the more powerful she becomes. Because people enter into the church not for the sake of following Christ, but for the sake of just belonging to the majority. On the other hand, when the church separates more and more from the government, there's much more persecution that happens. But there's a much greater purity in the faith. So either way, we're in trouble, right? There's no easy way around that. But I think in our times, the temptation that we're running into, especially in America, is ascribing our faith to a specific political system. And what that really is, is a lack of hope. I stop looking towards heaven and I replace all my hopes for an earthly kingdom. And the second thing is hedonism. Because we have so many desires, so many longings, Without heaven, we have no reason to deny them. And that's why Nietzsche said, once we lose God in our life, we will lose a moral compass and we'll start following whatever desires that we have within our bodies. And I think we can look around our culture and see that is quite prevalent. 
Here's the third thing that it would lead to is nihilism. A total lack of hope for life because we all know the more you follow your desires and you put your hope in political institutions, the more we are left empty and disappointed and desolate in the end. And that's when nihilism gets its power. So like I said, this is the dilemma that we must all face and confront in our life over and over again. We're made for heaven, but we're not there yet. So what am I doing with all those desires that I have for heaven? One psychologist I was reading about talked about, they followed Nietzsche, and they talked about the myth of arrival. This myth of arrival that government systems use this all the time, and I think it's something that can plague even the Catholic Church. Even in our times, this myth of arrival with like healing services. Healing's beautiful, and we all need healing. But there's this sense in so many people that once I get healed of this one wound that I have, once I get right over this trespass, then on the other side, I will have arrived to the person I'm supposed to be. Once I get over this addiction, once I get away from this sin, once I get in this new place, this new thing, then I will be who I'm supposed to be and I'll be content. It's the myth of arrival. This is what they say. Embedded in the myth of arrival is the message that there will come a day when our struggles and sufferings will be finished. Depression, anxiety, anger, and all manner of ill-being will finally end. We will wake up one morning and clearly recognize that we have arrived. We will have gotten ourselves and our lives together in a way that can never be undone. We will be healthy and happy. We'll be in the job, the home, and the relationship that we've always wanted, financially comfortable, and fundamentally at peace with ourselves. I think that's exactly what Christ was talking about when he says, see that you do not be deceived, for many will come in my name saying, I am he, and the time has come. The time of arrival. And I will give you the secret to your happiness on earth. It's a lie. And I was having a great conversation with the guys after last mass um, about the different ways that we're seeking utopias in our life. And one thing that one of the guys brought up, one guy was full-time giving himself missionary work, and he said the greatest place that he's tempted to be nihilistic and lose hope for is evangelization. Because he sees how difficult it actually is to convert people to the faith. And another guy who was studying polyscience, political science, said that his greatest utopia and nihilism come from the same place. The more he thought that politics would save us, the deeper he gets into it, he realizes how empty it actually is in the end. So like the more, the, the more we love anything, that is going to be the very place where we also are tempted to nihilism, like a false idol. Wherever I put my greatest hopes outside of God is what will end up destroying my heart and my faith in the end. Reminds me of Eminem. You didn't get that connection? All right, so Eminem has a great, great song called Space Down. You have to listen to the edited version if you're going to listen to it because it's Eminem and his mouthy. 
Um, but this beautiful song, I, I, it's one of my favorite songs to talk about with youth about relationships. Because right now, the greatest, I think, idol of our time is romantic love. We're so obsessed with finding the soulmate, the one who will complete me. And that's a myth of a rival. Once I find that person, I'll be set. And Eminem, he speaks about the difficulty of his own life, of finding the love that he always thought he would at some point. In the chorus of the song, it says, I'm a space-bound rocket ship and your heart's the moon, and I'm aiming right at you. 250,000 miles on a clear night in June, and I'm aiming right at you. So he takes this woman and he divinizes her. He puts her up as if she's somewhere in the skies and says, my heart, my being is aiming for you. And this is a perfect expression of desire. The word desire itself comes etymologically from desedire, from the stars. So whenever we're talking about our desires, the word itself signifies transcendence, something above this world, something we can't find here on earth. And he says, I love this woman so much that he you know, glorifies her, divinizes her, and puts her up in the sky. And then he gets so upset and he actually ends up hating her because they can never be on the same track. And the love that they have is never what he thought it'd be. And that's the problem. The more exalted we hold any created thing or institution, person on this earth, we become misdirected and it falls apart. Okay, so we talked about Nietzsche and Eminem. What's the answer to the problem of the fact that we're made for heaven, but we're not there yet? I think... It's something we need to talk about a lot more in the Catholic Church. It's mysticism. Every Catholic is called to be a mystic. You are called to be a mystic. That's not just something for the great saints. And a mystic is someone who is willing and has learned how to stay in the pain of unfulfilled desire. That's mysticism. I have all these longings, but I know they're made for heaven. Therefore, I can suffer. I can persevere through this unfulfilled desire as I move towards heaven. Christianity is not a moral code. Christianity is not doing the right thing or thinking the right thing or saying the right thing and following all the textbook rules and liturgical rules, which I love very much, but thinking that we arrive that way. We can do everything right on the outside, but if we do not have mystic hearts given over to Christ and truly longing for him in prayer, we are not even beginning to live the faith. Does that make sense, Rossi? We need to reclaim the mystic nature of Christianity. What mysticism does is it orients us towards heaven. My thoughts, my heart, my desires are for heaven. And I experience that when I kneel before our Lord in Holy Communion. I experience that when I receive this body and blood 
in the Holy Eucharist. I experience that when I receive His mercy in confession. I experience that when I meditate on His Word in the Scriptures. We need to experience heaven through Jesus Christ over and over again, or we will fall to the idolization of creatures on earth. Lastly, I want to end with this. One of my favorite lines from Nietzsche was, all my ideas are bloody ideas. All my ideas are bloody ideas, he said. And what he meant by that, that everything that I believe is nothing just in my head. Nothing's an abstraction. I incarnate it. I desire to live it out. And he lived out some bad ideas. That's also the other problem with it. But there's a deep truth because all God's ideas are bloody ideas. Nothing God does for us is abstract. The incarnation of God in the flesh was bloody. Christ being born in a cave was bloody. Jesus Christ offering himself on a cross for our salvation was bloody. And Jesus doesn't offer himself as a sign or a symbol in the Holy Eucharist to remind us of something that happened 2,000 years ago. The sacrifice that happens on this altar is bloody. It's his body and blood handed over to us in every mass. Because none of God's ideas are ephemeral or abstract. They're all bloody ideas because they're for us, for our salvation. And we need to experience that passion from him in the sacraments. If we are to keep our hearts alive until we get back to him in heaven. Let us pray for the grace to truly experience the gift and the mysteries of the faith that we have as Catholics, especially here in the sacrifice of the Mass. We may not, we are made for heaven, and we may not be there yet, but in one moment, heaven itself is going to come down to us. And by that grace, we will persevere unto eternal life.